Hey everybody, this is the Premortem Show with uh, Jason and Nathan, uh, and today we have a great guest for you. His name's Naveed Lalani. He's been a longtime friend of mine. Uh, when I first started getting into entrepreneurship, uh, pretty much my first gig ever as kind of in the startup entrepreneur world was at a company called Rally, and we were building uh, fundraising software for nonprofits and political campaigns, and Naveed was one of the masterminds behind that. And so it's with uh, great pleasure that uh, I bring Naveed Lalani on the phone. Thanks, Jason. Good to be on. So, Naveed, I think that let's let's just kick things off today. Uh, if you can give us kind of a little um, a little bit of background on yourself, uh, and then just kind of tell us what you're working on right now. Sure. Yeah. So, just a quick background. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Have also worked as an employee at a few interesting uh, companies. Um, so after Rally, I uh, I try to venture in the Bitcoin space, uh, and I'll talk about my current venture in uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes. Um, I also have uh, worked as a strategist uh, for an organization called Donor Nation, which is a marketplace uh, for public schools and businesses to work together. And then uh, I was a strategist at Reactor Core, which owns and operates uh, coding schools all across the country, including Hack Reactor, Maker Square, uh, and etc. Um, and I'm also very active in volunteer work. Uh, so for the Ismaili Muslim community, I'm in charge of all of our entrepreneurship initiatives. Um, also active in the Teal Fellowship and, and other such organizations. Uh, and my latest venture actually uh, takes all this passion that I've had for empowering others to be entrepreneurs uh, and uh, basically made it my full-time profession. Uh, so the current venture is called The Start. It's a four-week online bootcamp for aspiring entrepreneurs and that's what I'm currently working on. Okay, that's great. Um, so Naveed, what we're going to do today is we're going to do something called a pre-mortem with you and uh, I think that many people in the audience are familiar with post-mortems. Um, we'll, we'll describe what a post-mortem is and a pre-mortem is in a second but so we have kind of an interesting take though on the traditional post-mortem. Um, so actually, Nathan, do you want to kind of tell the audience what a uh, postmortem traditionally is kind of in the business world and kind of what we're, what we're doing, the premortem? Absolutely. So uh, I think people have, do have a vague notion of what a postmortem is. Uh, after somebody dies, an examiner is going to look at the body and determine the cause of death. And what that means is that that examiner wasn't there at the scene of the crime or they weren't there when the person died, even if it wasn't a crime. So what they're going to do is, you know, the ev with the evidence that they have, which may just be a body, they're going to look at it, examine it, um, maybe open it up, and determine, based on that evidence, uh, the most likely cause. Okay, so was it poisoning? Was it a drug overdose? Um, you know, was it a hemorrhage? Uh, you know, uh, whatever it may be. So there's this notion that uh, Jason and I came across reading Daniel Kahneman's work, and Daniel Kahneman is a psychologist. Um, he's, you know, people know he's, he's won the Nobel Prize uh, in economics, very influential, and he uh, brought to our attention uh, the concept of, of a pre-mortem. And typically a pre-mortem is discussed in the context of entrepreneurship, uh, of um, kind of project management, uh, taking on a new project, doing project planning, and or just entrepreneurial decision making. And so the concept is this: it's 
mistakes are very costly. And at the same time, uh, we are making decisions under great uncertainty. So what we really want to do is kind of do low-cost things that increase our odds of success, and that may come in the form of thought experiments. So, you know, uh, let's say Jason, uh, Navid, and I, um, we're going to get together. We're thinking about doing something new. Well, we're going to talk about things, but we may discuss this new idea that we have, this new project, in an unsystematic way. Uh, with a thought experiment, you can start to formalize things and make it a little more systematic. And the pre-mortem in particular basically says, all right, cool. Well, we've talked about what our idea is. Now let's imagine the future. Let's, let's imagine a future that may come in, in six months, in one year, maybe longer. And the fundamental foundation for this post-mortem, or rather pre-mortem thought experiment is that the project we've envisioned has failed. And now we're going to kind of sit around at the table and almost compete to tell the best story about why the project failed. We're actually now, we've sort of shifted a mindset from thinking, from trying to rationalize or justify this project, like, hey, it's going to be great because it's just so clever, it's going to be so new, people are going to be wowed, this has some great technology, people have never seen it before, it's going to be so much fun, to actually actually being in a sort of social situation where we're motivated to kill the idea because we want to show how smart we are, clever, foresightful, insightful, um, to identify the threats that could undermine the success of the project. And the goal really is in doing all that and talking it through and identifying these possible pitfalls to actually then create a plan of action to overcome the pitfalls and therefore never succumb to, to them in the first place and in the end, ultimately be successful. So this is a really, it sounds, hey, you know, it's got mortem in the name. It sounds like death. But this is a constru very constructive uh, exercise that is a, that's meant to make uh, a project and an enterprise more robust. And yeah. so that's what we're hoping to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the great things about it is, um, you know, there, there are a lot of cognitive biases. There are a lot of kind of uh, different types of wishful thinking that kind of take place in the entrepreneurial world. And in a certain sense, I guess you could, the, the definition of an entrepreneur could be somebody that is incredibly optimistic because, right, if you were, if we were just being honest about the chances of a company like Airbnb or Uber kind of succeeding at its conception, the, the probabilities would be incredibly low, right? And so if you're just being rational and saying, do I really want to put five years into something that has pretty much no chance of succeeding, but if it does succeed, will succeed really big, um, the probability is going to be so small that no rational person would kind of partake in that kind of adventure. But uh, the great thing is that luckily, uh, you know, many of us actually are irrationally optimistic. We kind of see the world with rose-tinted glasses and we push forward. And, it, you know, the world kind of uh, should feel very grateful that a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs have these kind of broken um, broken optimism systems that are kind of overly optimistic because without entrepreneurs, without all these people kind of pushing forward and trying to do new things, society would be at a huge loss. We wouldn't have the Googles of the world. We wouldn't have the Ubers of the world. But, um, you know, at the same time, as kind of business people, we do want to kind of reduce our, um, reduce our wasted time, our wasted efforts as much as possible. And so this is kind of a way, this is an antidote against kind of wishful or kind of overly optimistic thinking. So what we'd really like to hear at this point is, is kind of a concrete 
maybe user story. Sure. What would it? What What is this company? What is it doing? And what you know? So I'm a, a customer or a client. Um, what would my experience be? Sure. Uh, so the customer that we're aiming for is the first time aspiring entrepreneur. So somebody who uh, has always dreamed about starting their own company hasn't taken the the leap before. They may have done you know side projects. They may be very they may be very entrepreneurial in the, their own uh, professions, uh, but they haven't taken the, the lead before. That's kind of the, the customer. Now what happens with that customer tr traditionally is they get ignored by the startup ecosystem because they get tagged as want to be entrepreneurs. Um, uh, you know, because they're not, they haven't already taken a leap, they haven't already been you know, actively working on an idea, they kind of get tagged as that and they kind of get ignored and not given resources. Uh, what I, I want to do is really create resources for those people that have aspirations, uh, but don't know what to do next to those aspirations. And you know the resources they have currently are, there are some actually, but they're very limited and they're not very action oriented. So for example, um, you know they can go to entrepreneurial events around town. They can find events through meetups. There's several entrepreneurship organizations that they can participate and join in. Uh, but you know, going to these events and, and networking is great, but it's not very actionable. Uh, it should certainly be a part of the mix of what an aspiring entrepreneur does, but not the only thing. Um, also, a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs get stuck at the idea, and there are actually resources available for aspiring entrepreneurs that have an idea they want to pursue. But if you don't have that killer idea, then you kind of get kind of get stuck, and you get stuck in analysis paralysis. And uh, the, the issue that, that uh, comes from that is, uh, you know, when you're doing a startup, you actually learn pretty quickly um, that it's actually not about the idea, it's about how you execute on the idea. So imagine if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, all you have is, you know, events that you can go to that aren't really actionable, they kind of feel, start to feel redundant, and you start to lose kind of faith in yourself because you say, I keep going to these events and talking to people, and yet I'm not doing anything, right? Imagine if you had that situation, and then you do think of ideas and you shoot them down because every idea has to be you know, an Uber or a Facebook. That's kind of what the, the media around entrepreneurship uh, purports and, 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 and spreads. Uh, you just get frustrated. And you, so you never will actually experience how to execute a startup. And therefore, you can never actually start a startup. It's, it's a really like paradoxical thing that aspiring entrepreneurs get stuck in. And the reason this audience is you know, really interesting is uh, not only is it largely ignored, it's actually really, really massive. So if you think about every person that starts a company, you know, my, my intuition says there's probably 10 or 15 that think about starting a company but never do. Uh, and, and, and those are the people that I really want to create opportunities for. So now you know, have a, you have a sense of, you know, the customer audio, uh, kind of the customer segment, um, how they would experience the product basically is they would come to the start, um, they'll see the messaging that's very clear, it says, you know, do you want to start something but don't know where to start, or do you want to start something but don't have a killer idea? They'll look at that messaging, um, uh, then they'll hopefully continue reading, and, and basically the goal of the program is, uh, it's a four-week online program, and the goal at the end of those four weeks is to really create a pitch deck, which, which is the final deliverable. Um, and what we do is we pair you up in those four weeks with other team members, so these are basically 
other people that have applied to the program that effectively become your co-founders for those four weeks. We pair you up with the coach, and then we give you resources on a weekly basis so that you can create this pitch deck. Um, it's very much experiential education. We don't hold your hand. There are no, you know, lectures that you have to report into, you know, two times or three times a week. Uh, it, it's, it's very much using the resources we give, uh, working with your team members and getting advice from your coach to create this pitch deck. And the reason that that deliverable is really interesting, we feel, is because uh, it's not so much that you're creating a pitch deck to pitch to judges, though that is definitely part of the learning experience, just like working with co-founders is part of the learning experience. The really interesting part about creating a pitch deck is it actually covers all the different things you need to think about when you're starting your own company, mm-hmm. you know, from uh, what your who your customer is, what problem you're solving, uh, you know, what how do you go about marketing, uh, how do you look at finances, and you know, what are the next steps you need to take to actually make this business a reality? So those four weeks really help these students explore all those different things um, in a very kind of intense and quick format, uh, and and you know. That's what we call. Uh, that's what we're calling kind of execution, right? Like you're actually on a daily basis uh, going. You know, you're going to Google and figuring out how to uh, create a balance sheet, for example. Uh, you know, you're doing all these things, and you're really learning to learn, and you're really experiencing this firsthand instead of sitting in a classroom and and you know creating a mock presentation. Um, so that's the start. It's experiential education. Uh, I know there's a very long explanation, but I wanted to kind of dig in uh, so that it helps kind of for the purposes of the exercise that we're trying to do here. But that's basically what the start is. That's how a customer would experience it. You know, the, the bootcamp is the first product. Uh, after the bootcamp, my, my goal really is to create a community of these aspiring entrepreneurs and to give them additional resources, you know, paid and free resources. So uh, free resources would be uh, a community they can connect with. So if they want to find other co-founders, I want to give them those kinds of resources. There are obviously companies out there that, you know, do co-founder matching. But they're pretty ineffective because the people that are in those commu- are, are in those communities haven't had a shared experience together, and and so I think in that way, hopefully with this shared experience with this boot camp, that the, the surface actually seems really simple. But when you actually start doing it, it becomes really really difficult and really um, challenging in a very good way. Uh, once you've had this experience together, you know, hopefully the folks that are in the community then have a deeper connection and a deeper reason to connect and and actually to create real ideas that they want to uh, take into you know the market. Uh, and then also I'll continue providing, you know, more advanced courses, uh, local meetups, all sorts of different things. I really want to create a community here of these aspiring entrepreneurs and really give them whatever they need uh, to to take their leap. Um, you know, including as as a last thing I want to provide would be a partnership. So let's say if a aspiring entrepreneur goes through my program, uh, he or she is ready to take take the next step. Uh, perhaps I'll have a partner with partnership with the Founders Institute or with an with an incubator program. Um, and, and so they kind of have their very, very clear path. Uh, so that's basically um, uh, a, a picture of, you know, uh, what I'm trying to do and, and how a customer would experience it. So, so that's fantastic. Uh, the, that information, is, I think, is, is super helpful in, in understanding what you're doing. I think to take it one more level to make it more concrete, um, I'd propose maybe trying to understand this through... Um, again, a specific user story. So l- let's say um, I'm John, uh, I'm 26, and I've had a four-year career in finance. And I have this idea. Um, my idea is uh, Airbnb for day rentals. Okay, so I want you know um, property owners, um, you know people who own homes or whatever, 
to be able to do their listings and, and rent their properties during the day instead of these overnight bookings like on Airbnb. And I'm thinking, well, look, I mean, hey, I've spent my whole year in finance. Um, I don't know how to do this uh, startup thing. Um, I just, you know, I, I want to do it. Um, and, you know, so would the start be the right service for me? You know, it, w would this be a way for me to develop the idea that I'm, I'm already thinking about? Or am I coming in and kind of um, democratically... Uh, working out an idea to create the to create a pitch deck for um, in collaboration with the other people in, in my cohort. Yep, great question. Um, so the the start's per primary purpose is to be an educational program. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the primary purpose. Now we do have about a third of our students in the current cohort came in with ideas that they had, but as you said, it's a democratic process. So of course they can come in and they can say, hey, look, I only want to work on this idea, and you know I have one or two team members that kind of want to work with me. And that's perfectly fine. But if they're getting paired with other students in the classroom, then they need to know ahead of time. And they do know ahead of time that it's a democratic process where with your team you'll decide. Because part of the experience here is in working with co-founders to come up with something together, right? Like week one, you're actually doing ideation exercises. Um, so it, it's, uh, to, to, there actually are programs that you can go to. Uh, um, if you have an idea that you for sure want to work on, there are actually longer programs you can take, you know? Uh, that are three months, six months long uh, that accommodate working professionals. Uh, but, but you'll be surprised, actually, most people never feel like they've reached that step. So even if they actually have ideas that they're really excited about, they don't feel like this is the idea they want to, you know, really just go with and, you know, work for three months on, six months on, part-time to try to make it into a reality. Uh, and, and even though the ideas they have in their mind might be actually maybe worth it, uh, might be uh, viable. Uh, it's actually a pretty big uh, mental hurdle to cross. And, and you know, like I I've lived in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, uh, you guys are from there. And so, you know, me saying these things probably feels like really odd or maybe even like inaccurate. Uh, but, you know, the psychology in Silicon Valley is such where uh, people just usually, they're always trying things, right? Uh, but outside of Silicon Valley, there's obviously a lot of people that are entrepreneurs and very entrepreneurial, but um, the culture is not as accepting of a uh, failure, even now, right? And, and so, you know, they're not usually surrounded uh, in an environment where they can say, hey, I have, I have a you know, full-time job, but let me, let me try this one idea I have for the next six months. If it doesn't work out, I'll go to the next idea. Like, that actually is a huge hurdle for them to cross, unlike for a lot of the people that are kind of surrounded by the startup scene all the time. So actually, I want to remove that from the equation uh, because if I, if I put that as a hurdle for a student, that, hey, you're coming here to work through your idea, I think that actually is a detriment uh, to what the process is supposed to be. The process is an, it's an educational process. Uh, and in you know, some ways, it's, uh, the, I guess, I don't know if Trojan horse is the right word, but in some ways, the education part is, um, is, uh, is interesting because what I've noticed in my first class is even though the students came in and with the mindset this is an education process, they felt, they felt very comfortable coming in then, right? And they felt like it was a safety net for them. You know, if they do something in just three weeks or four weeks that, you know, is inaccurate, they do some incorrect research, it's not going to be the end of the world, right? Even when they're presenting to judges, the, the judges know it's an educational process. But actually what's happened with that, uh, maybe I'm jumping too far, but what's happened in that process is because they feel that level of comfort, now that a lot of the students actually do want to take their ideas and, and take them to market and actually do them, you know, quote, unquote, for real, uh, but 
but that's not the starting point they came in with. Um, these, the, 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 the process is just to, to, to learn startup execution. Uh, you know, the idea you work through may or may not be the idea you spend the next 10 years of your life on. That's very intimidating. Like, let's remove that from the equation and just have you focus on the educational piece. Uh, so in, in your specific example, you know, the student, uh, I would tell them, um, you know, come with an open mindset uh, if you really just do want to learn. But if you really are set on this idea, that's great too. Just like let me know ahead of time. And then, you know, we'll, uh, that'll basically be the idea that you work on. And, you know, uh, you'll have to bring your own team members or we'll communicate that with the other students ahead of time that, you know, this person has this idea they really want, want to work through. Are you interested in working with them through this idea? Uh, we'll have to kind of set those boundaries in, in the beginning. But that's definitely not my typical student profile. Very good. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Very helpful. Uh, Jason, do you, do you have any, uh, any more questions about uh, about the work? start? Um, yeah. No, I, th I think I'm good. I think that, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's give the people what they came here for. Let's, uh, let's jump into the uh, pre-mortem game. Great. Nathan, do you want to, um, do you kind of want to uh, set up the scene and uh, kind of kick things off? Right, let's do it. Um, so uh, w what I'm imagining, I think, again, we want to make things concrete. So, uh, Naveed, you have, you've been working on the start. Have you had a cohort yet? Because you're saying these are like four-week cohorts. Um, have you done one? Uh, uh, yes. So my current cohort started on July 18th. Uh, sorry, June 18th, uh, and it'll be ending uh, tomorrow. Oh, very nice. Well, congratulations. Thanks. So let's imagine, uh, you know, going out into the future, um, you've run a few more of these cohorts. Um, I imagine there's there's maybe a gap between one, when one ends and the next one picks up. Um, but let's say this is six months from now, which seems kind of like a, a, a reasonable time frame. Um, you've run a number of these cohorts, um, and you're getting to some point where you don't think that do, continuing to do more cohorts um, is worth the opportunity cost. You know, it's not worth your time, and you, you finally are making the decision to go off and do something else. What was it that uh, about this process um, about maybe the, 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 the pools of people that you were getting, the reception to it, um, or even the bottom line for you that you think might uh, lead you to that conclusion after another six months of experience with it? Sure. That's a good question. Um, so I, I, I'll kind of rank it like in order of, uh, in, 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 in an order of like, I guess, most likely to least likely. Uh, but these are all like valid concerns that I would have, right? Like in six months, if I woke up and I said, okay, time to shut this down or, you know, uh, or I'm already in the process of shutting it down, why would it happen? Um, I would say the first reason would probably be that I didn't get enough interest. So, you know, I was able to get the uh, first cohort filled. I hit my target of the, the, the number of students I wanted. I basically wanted, you know, three teams of, of three. I have a few students over that. So that was great. Um, but I'm not. I'm uncertain how much of my network I've already tapped to get these ten students. Uh, though I, obviously I have uh, a bunch of marketing plans and, and all these different things uh, where I feel like pretty confident that I'll continue uh, getting enrollment. 
but but that would be probably the first, if if I was going to shut this thing down like in six months, uh, that would probably be the first reason is I just haven't been able to you know I tried uh, maybe you know try to promote you know three or four additional cohorts and I haven't been able to get uh, students signing up or I haven't gotten enough students signing up uh, for those, those cohorts. Uh, the second reason uh, would be, uh, I guess it would be similar, right, uh, which is about finances. So if there aren't enough students signing up, there isn't enough interest, uh, or, or at least if the interest isn't ramping up, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with like having, you know, like a full cohort like I do now, and then maybe the next cohort is, 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 is less. Uh, obviously, ideally, it's more, but let's say it's less, but then it dips, then it, then it goes back up. Like that stuff is fine, but if it's consistently, consistently not getting enough students and 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 the and and it's not planning out kind of panning out financially then that would be another reason that i would shut it down and, and that's because you know uh this is like my first uh venture uh that i'm bootstrapping um so uh, so i don't have you know 18 to 24 months uh of you know wiggle room with angel capital to really kind of continue trying different things um uh the third reason would be the the product is just not good right like I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I keep tweaking the product and I just hear feedback saying that actually this is not really moving the needle forward for the students. It's not really, um, it's, it's not really uh, helping them, you know, feel more likely to start their own venture in the future. It's not increasing their confidence or readiness. If I hear that kind of feedback consistently, and, and that means the product is basically not performing, then I would shut down the product, maybe, you know, do the quote unquote pivot, right? Try something else. Um, but I feel like that's unlikely because the feedback I'm getting from the first class is actually extremely positive. Obviously, I'm learning, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at figuring out who my actual audience is. You know, there's going to be some iterations I'm going to be making to the process of the four weeks. But in general, I see that as less of a concern, I guess. Like I would, but it's still definitely a concern, right? Uh, would be like number three. And the last concern, which is, which is like in the back of my mind, is I could just get bored, honestly. And I could just... I, I, I would just do it and, and realize, you know what, like this is actually not as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, I think that's probably the most unlikely part because, um, so I've actually, so the reason I actually even list that as a, as a, the reason I list that as a, as a potential reason that I could fail is because that happened to me in my past venture. I was doing something in the Bitcoin space. I really find this Bitcoin space fascinating, but the idea, you know, it was a timely idea, uh, but I just wasn't that excited you know, to wake up and work on it, uh, because I, I didn't, I didn't have the pain that I was trying to solve for my customers, which was, you know, earning money through like content creation uh, and, and tips and et cetera. Um, uh, so, so this time with this venture, I, I really thought hard about, you know, what's going to excite me, what's going to wake me up every day to like, you know, work really hard on this thing. And, and, you know, the reason I picked the start is because as a volunteer, I've been working uh, with entrepreneurs and, and empowering them in, in, in a volunteer capacity. So I, I don't think I'll get bored, but it's like definitely a possibility because I am like very easily bored. And so I would say that's like another, those are probably the four reasons, you know, at, at this point that I can think about that I might potentially fail in, in six months or, or say even a year from now. That was great. That, that was very candid. Loved it. Um, loved it. Yeah. Jason, um, I guess when, when you look at Naveed's project, um, do you think that these threats, when it's a little dramatic to call them threats, but these concerns that could undermine the project, uh, do, you, do you think they're exhaustive or do other, other uh, possible issues come to mind? Yeah, um, so 
You know, I, I think that w the list he gave out was pretty exhaustive, right? Um, you know, they were at a high level, right? So, of course, uh, you know, the first threat of distribution, can you get enough people kind of through the door? Um, there's a lot of complexity to that, right? So we, we could talk for hours probably about that, that problem alone. Um, I like to break down, I like to think about products in terms of, you know, uh, my background is in the behavioral sciences, so I like to break it down into... Um, I like to think of the uh, the operant conditioning loop, which is kind of a classical idea that brought you know just core to psychology, specifically behaviorism, which is that in order for uh, behavior to uh, kind of succeed or you know be increased in frequency in the future, uh, you have to have, you know three components. You know, first the the behavior that you want has to be triggered or cued. Then the behavior is performed effectively um, and successfully. And then uh, you have a, uh, the, the behavior gets the result that you want, and therefore the behavior is rewarded. And that pretty much increases the probability that the cue or the trigger will kind of launch that behavior again in the future. And you can actually map those three parts of this kind of fundamental behavior loop to kind of every product, right? And so I, I see that the cueing or triggering, that's getting people in through the door, getting people signed up for your program. The second part, you know, doing the doing the behavior is going through the program and effectively going through the program. So, is the is the program too hard? Is it too easy? Um, you know, are people like uh, therefore engaged at the right level so that they can complete it? And then the third one is just the reward. Do people actually find the 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 value and the information that they're given and the end result of going through the program? Do they find it super compelling so that uh, they'll tell their friends about it and maybe come back to uh, the start? in Naveed's company in the future for another program or for more materials. So I always like well, to break down a product into those three components, and I thought Naveed did a good job of kind of talking about all three. Yeah, it, you know, I don't want to jump in with the last point that you made, because what's what's interesting about Naveed's enterprise here is that it, it's actually a, a teach a man to fish kind of enterprise where, uh, you know, he's not... Uh, his clients aren't going to form a habit in the sense that they're going to do the start and say, hey, that was really rewarding, and I'm literally going to sign up for the next cohort and do it again. Because if Naveed has done his job, he's empowered these people, taught them something, and then they're going to go off and be self-sufficient. So it's kind of interesting is, you know, I think if anything, like you, like you were saying at the end, um, either maybe they're going to come back for more for a new program, a new curriculum, um, or they're going to be recommending the program to other people like them that they know. Um, uh, can I jump in there? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, so yeah, I think I think your teacher fish, teacher teacher man of fish, kind of uh, uh, is definitely the is definitely like the mantra uh, uh, that I've gone in with in creating the curriculum. Uh, and I, I guess like that's actually one of the inherent risks, you know, <laughs> uh, right? Like uh, if I'm if I'm successful at this, they should not need to come back to the boot camp. At least, right? At least not this four-week product, um, you know. So, so, so in that way, uh, you know, unlike like a product or a service uh, where you can come back, you know, where once you have a customer, you can just kind of focus on increasing the time spent on your service and you know on your product, et cetera, et cetera. I don't actually have that here. It makes it makes it makes the distribution in some ways trickier because I basically have to go out there and find new and new and new customers. That's really scary to me, right? As a as a business. Um, uh, I, I guess like a few ways that uh, I don't want to jump into like the the solutions I guess, but like just to kind of paint a little bit of picture on how I'm, how I'm thinking about this problem. As you mentioned, right? Like 
I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm able to uh, be there in their journey, not just at this very beginning stage, but, 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 you know, until the, until the, uh, until the end, right. Uh, the end might mean, you know, they've gone on to start something and, you know, they've raised their, their, at least their seed round, right. And now the whole world of resources open up to them. Um, and, you know, the ecosystem is really well built out to support companies that are kind of beyond seed stage. Uh, so in, 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 you know, that could be, uh, that could be good in that there are multiple kind of interactions they have with my business. Um, but then again, that could also serve as a distraction because uh, that means that, you know, I have to now manage, you know, three different products, right? Not just this one bootcamp product. So, uh, yeah, so this is, this is definitely, I think, probably also uh, one of the, uh, I wouldn't say the reason it would fail in six months, but maybe, uh, you know, long term, why it may not um, get as much value and give as much value as it can is because, of just the odd nature of the fact that you go through it once, then you're done. And, you know, if I try to create additional products, it could be a distraction. Uh, there's definitely one of this, those are definitely like some of the risks as well, along with uh, the ones that, uh, you know, we've listed already. So, so do, I think formalize what you're saying with this pipeline, uh, you know, bringing new clients in. Um, you, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, I, I you know, I tapped my social net existing network to build this cohort. And at the moment, you're, you're not really sure, like, how 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 much you've drained your network. Like, hey, right. is this it? Or do I have another five cohorts just from the from the people that I already know? So there's, there's that sort of uncertainty that will play out. And then, but I guess the, the, there, then there are two possibilities. Now, you could sort of advertise and get people who really don't know you, aren't connected to you, um, are really outside of your existing network, who are just hearing about it and seeing, seeing the marketing, seeing, seeing the branding, hearing about the content and thinking, well, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know this guy, but uh, you know, I, I, sounds great. I mean, seems seems legit, um, and I'll, I'll take the plunge. And the, the, But then the other mechanism is referrals, essentially, people who have completed the program, spreading the word. Um, would you say that's pretty much how, how you're sort of seeing the different uh, business development strategies? Yeah, so, so I, I guess like this, this kind of uh, risk, this kind of uh, bias, right, that uh, people kind of build with, you know, being able to get their first, you know, 100 users or whatever, in my case, you know, the first 10 students, right? Uh, they, they feel like, oh, wow, this is really going to work because, you know, these people love it and they paid for it. And they forget that, Oh, they actually know you personally, so that's probably why they took that extra gamble, right? Uh, I, I I try to actually counter counteract that uh, from the from the beginning. Um, so, for example, like case in point, uh, only three of the people that are in the current class, uh, I believe, three uh, yeah, three people actually know me directly, and and you know signed up because I had you know conversations with them, three or four. Uh, the rest of the students in the class. Uh, actually know me through a second degree contact and you know they saw my marketing uh, because somebody shared it on LinkedIn or on Facebook or, or through some email blast that I sent um, so I so yes I've definitely tried to uh, counteract that uh, by not completely draining my network uh, but obviously you know I had to balance that with the fact that I did want my first cohort filled uh, because uh, that was really important um, and then what I've done is I've started to build relationships 
with organizations that are currently uh, attracting the audience that I want to go after. So, you know, I mentioned to you, the, the, the audience are aspiring entrepreneurs and they do go to like networking events and these kinds of things right now. And, and they're part of certain organizations uh, that have a pretty large scale already. Uh, so I've started to build relationships with those types of organizations uh, to then be able to kind of co-market uh, with them. Uh, so that's another way that I'm trying to kind of counteract the, the, the risk that we're talking about. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you brought up a kind of a third option other than paid advertising and referrals, which is partnerships. Um, that's something that didn't immediately, I think, go through either of our minds, but makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the risks that I think is substantial to kind of a program like this, you know, we, we've just brought up distribution, which is getting people into the program. Yep. Um, kind of the next kind of big risk in my mind is uh, matching the educational content to the experience and knowledge level of the students. So, of course, you don't want to give students that you know already know a bit about accounting and setting up a business etc you know kind of all this beginning accounting and kind of creating an llc type of knowledge or else they'll zone, they'll zone out and get really bored but you also don't want to go completely over their heads and give them advanced materials so in my mind one of the big kind of risks is um kind of getting students at the right skill level for your materials or modifying the materials and kind of the curriculum kind of based on the um, specific kind of uh, knowledge levels of the people in your program. So just kind of getting that sweet spot, that Goldilocks zone there with the educational material, I think is huge for engagement in the program and happiness with the program. Um, I don't, Nathan, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a good question. Yeah. So Naveed, I mean, is this, this sort of just a very, do you see it as a, a iterative process? You're, at once sort of gauging your students, um, you know, the level that they're at, the background, the experience that they have, adapting things. I mean, each cohort, I presume, would be different. Um, you know, if things go well, your curriculum will evolve. How are you seeing all that? Uh, sure, yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. Um, so it's really interesting, actually, that, you, that, that you know, you, uh, you bring this, uh, this one up because uh, let's say we were doing this uh, pre-mortem, before I had started my first cohort, you know, I, I would have probably given you a very different answer <laughs> than, yeah. I'm, than I'm about to give you right now. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, so, so basically here is the way that I've been thinking about it. So before I started my first cohort, um, I had a very broadly defined audience, you know. A as an entrepreneur, like, you want everybody to use your product, right, because you think it's the greatest thing in the world, blah, 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 blah. So, and you know, you don't want to limit your potential audience, uh, especially as you're just trying to get a business off the ground until you really learn who your audience is. Um, so I would say like, I kind of, uh, I naively, uh, but also, you know, that irrational optimism that you guys talked about earlier, um, thought that this could be for, you know, both people that are, it's uh, individuals that are students, individuals that are, you know, corporate professionals, uh, maybe early in their career, maybe also mid-career professionals, and and even like small business owners that want to learn some of the more modern startup tactics. Um, uh, you know, even a repeat entrepreneur, right? Uh, what I've learned. Uh, so yes, so, so what I've learned is that that's not the case. Um, so I would say eighty percent of the feedback I've gotten from the students has been extremely positive. 
But I would say about 20% of it has actually been pretty, I hate to use the word negative, but it's, but it's dissatisfactory, right? Um, and, 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 and I really looked at, you know, why I'm getting that feedback from those 20% of students. And the students didn't have any problems with, uh, with the way that the program is being conducted. Uh, but they actually, what their complaint was about was about the material. Uh, so it's really interesting. Uh, I had, um, you know, the, the, uh, one of the uh, students in the start was also currently a university student. And this individual uh, thought the material was way too advanced for her, uh, you know, and, and, you know, was really asking for uh, more, more lectures and, and et cetera. Um, and the, uh, sorry, I have some notifications going on. Um, so that was one category of, of, of a person that, you know, uh, she, she basically wanted to uh, not move forward. I, you know, I talked to her and said, look, look at this as a learning opportunity. Let's get you to the, to the finish line. But I think it's like pretty clear to me that if a student hasn't gone through at least some sort of a pitch competition or hasn't gone through another program like, you know, a startup weekend or et cetera, this might be too advanced for them. They might be expecting something different. And on the other end of the spectrum, um, uh, where I had uh, kind of uh, dissatisfactory feedback uh, was from somebody who's actually already taken the leap before, you know, she has done her own startup before. Uh, so for her, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these, a lot of the materials were things that she already knew about or had already thought about. You know, it wasn't a game changer for her. Um, it might have been, you know, one or two times better, but it wasn't a 10x better thing for her to actually change her behavior and come to this, come to this program. So I, my my thinking currently is that I should more, I should be more specific based on this learning. Uh, you know, who the right audience is and then just market to the audience, make it very clear who the program is for, who it's not for. You know, the risk there is obviously the, the, the feedback that I have, it's pretty anecdotal, right? Because it's, you know, two individuals, you know? Awesome. Um, uh, so, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very small, it's not a statistically significant sample by any means of, you know, the overall number of students that I'll have in the future. But I'm, I'm trying to find that balance in like kind of valuing their feedback uh, but but also like not limiting who the audience is. So I guess like my solution has really been just to go with my gut, and my, my gut has told me that the, the 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 truth is somewhere in the middle, you know. So for the college student, as I mentioned to you, I don't think I should exclude all college students, but I think definitely for the college students that you know haven't gone through a business class or haven't gone through uh, you know some sort of a you know a startup weekend or three day startup one of these kind of programs, this is probably too much for them, uh, you know. Uh, and then for the for the for the person that's a repeat entrepreneur who is aspiring to start his or her own next company, I think actually that audience is still interesting, but maybe it's more interesting if they're international. So I had one student, you know, who is who has done a startup before uh, in a form of a uh, nonprofit. Um, so he has business experience, but he's also international. So a lot of the things he was learning, you know, are, are kind of U.S.-based principles, and so it was it was a 10x um, kind of a game changer for him the, the program. Um, so yeah, so like. Definitely agree with your point, and and I think you know if we were doing this pre mortem before I had launched my first cohort, I would definitely be like kind of scratching my head and you know uh, and and thinking to uh, this point. And and now that I'm almost done with the first cohort, like definitely the case that uh, there needs to be a matching of the level of content and you know the level of the student experience. And then of course you know we can also get more granular about 
you know, what kind of experience students have, if they have a finance background or a marketing background, that I try to counteract with matching people with kind of different skill sets uh, so that within your team, you at least have the basic support that you need. And then, you know, each team member can kind of learn and, and, and create uh, uh, with each other. Right. So it seems like, uh, you know, you, you've worked with a lot of software startups in the past, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, you're very familiar with this world. And one of the things that strikes me about what your current project, um, what you're doing, is that you're actually pr practicing, in a sense, with each cohort. So in theory, you know, you're getting better. You're figuring out how to hone your message. Um, and probably, I'm guessing, in, even in this first cohort, cohort for, from a day-to-day -day basis, you were probably tweaking things. Um, you know, on the fly, or you know, kind of adjust, adjusting how you were sort of um, addressing your audience or working with them. And I think uh, it's just an it's interesting to comp compare to software startups that you know, even if they um, expound a lean uh, philosophy and you know, emphasize iteration, you really can't do that with software. I think the way that you can with the kind of project you're doing, working with people, and constantly tuning your language um, to them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation. Uh, so one of the, so I'll let you into a little secret, I guess, secret in my own little world at least. Um, you know, before, so when I started marketing to start in the first cohort, I actually did not have any of the materials created. <laughs> for the four weeks, okay? Nothing was created. Obviously, I had a rough outline. I kind of knew what the, uh, you know, what the students would do on a weekly basis. Um, I felt comfortable doing it this way because uh, in, in the past, you know, I've, uh, as I mentioned to you, one of the volunteer roles that I have is I, I, I'm in charge of entrepreneurship initiatives for the Ismaili Muslim community. There's 70,000 of us here in the U.S. And, and so I've done similar programs in the past. So I felt a level of like, kind of comfort and confidence, uh, but I made a purposeful decision to, to, to not create the materials until I have uh, the students uh, booked. Uh, and the reason is because I didn't want to overthink the materials. I didn't want to you know, create something really abstract without knowing who the people are they are going to be reading them. I mean, with just kind of knowing the categories, it doesn't really help, but like, as, you know, as I was creating the materials while the class is going on, I actually knew, oh, actually, you know, last week, this person was kind of asking about this thing and you know, wanted this clarification. So this week in my materials, let me actually like incorporate that and make sure that that kind of a question will be kind of answered for them already and they don't have to come back to me for, for, for that kind of a question or for that clarification. Um, so I actually developed the materials. Uh, you know, it's four weeks. So each week they're getting a different set of materials. So I, would, I literally developed materials uh, you know, while the program was going on and definitely did it in a very iterative. So I would say like this is like a much, a very extreme kind of version of uh, an iterative process, uh, but it actually worked out really well. And the feedback that I'm getting uh, in, in terms of improvement is, um, you know, there's some minor feedback about the materials, um, but most of the feedback is just about the teaming process and, and, and those things. So surprisingly, the, 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 the feedback I'm getting on the materials is extremely positive. Um, uh, so it seems like, you know, that the part that I kind of uh, thought through the least, on, again, on, on purpose, uh, is the part that actually is working out is working out the best? Fantastic. And um, hmm, let's see here. So let's go to the um, the next 
potential uh, game changer, which would be, um, uh, let's see here, it's the one right before kind of you getting tired of the idea, that would be um, them, uh, the, sorry? Yeah, yeah so the, 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 the four that I listed was not enough interest, not mm-hmm. enough money, uh, product is not good, and then I'm bored. <laughs> Definitely, so th- this would be the money, this would be the money problem. Okay, yep. So do you want to kind of elaborate us on kind of like what, what situation it would, w- would lead you to not getting the money you need? I mean, are the cohort sizes that you have right now enough for you to kind of stay financially solvent? Do you need to increase them further? And do you think that by just increasing the size further uh, would kind of destroy the program or kind of hurt like how great of an experience it is, therefore, you know, kind of hurting point number two? Or, or do you think mm-hmm. you just need to charge more overall? Like what, what, what's going on there? Sure. Uh, so as I mentioned, I've done this type of a thing in volunteer capacity and, you know, it's possible uh, to run a cohort with 20 or 30 people. Right now I have 10 in my first. So I, I think I can definitely expand the cohort size. Um, you know, should I expand the cohort size this early on to that large of a number? I, I don't know yet. I think I would probably want to go through, uh, you know, uh, several more of these cohorts to really nail down the process. Uh, before I have, you know, 20, 30 students in a, in a classroom. Uh, but what I did do for my first cohort is I had the price at, uh, at, uh, at you know, only like $200, which is, uh, which is uh, low enough to where somebody seeing this and, you know, not seeing any testimonials on the website and not seeing any, you know, kind of proof of other students that have gone through it would be willing to take the risk, right? Uh, but definitely uh, for my next cohort onward, I want to increase the... Uh, the price uh, to to twice that amount uh, at least, and I've already kind of I've already had I already had that in my marketing materials. So when students were signing up for the first cohort, they they saw that okay, if you wait till the next one, you know the price will actually go up to the normal price, uh, which is uh, you know around four hundred dollars. Again, I'm kind of figuring out the, the 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 final math there, but the risk there is maybe the price is too high, right? Like maybe nobody nobody maybe nobody will be willing to pay that kind of a, uh, amount of money. And, you know, the reason would be because they haven't experienced it. They haven't seen the, they haven't seen, you know, how big of a change it can make and how much they'll learn. Uh, I think certainly, uh, you know, I've kind of asked my current students uh, if they would be willing to pay that higher price. And they said yes, but they've actually gone through the experience, right? So there is a risk in somebody seeing this and seeing, well, you know, it's a four-week part-time thing. Uh, you know, the price seems a little bit too steep for me to take that leap and, and, and you know, to do this. So that's definitely a risk. That, that I that I haven't you know solved yet. Do do you have a wait list right now or anything for people that uh, of people that have expressed interest in the four hundred dollar price point, or are still interested in the program even though they know it'll be more than two hundred dollars? Um, actually, that's interesting. Yes, I actually do. Um, so because on my website I had clearly marketed that look the first quarter is the only one that's two hundred dollars. After this, you know the prices will be going up. And again, I'm not sure four hundred dollars is the final number. But it'll, but I'm, because I'm still trying to figure out the math. Uh, but it'll be some higher price, and I and I told them that. And even then, uh, they have emailed me saying, "Hey, you know, for X Y Z reason, I can't come to the July uh, June 18th cohort, but I'd love to uh, learn about the next one or be interested in the next one. Let me know when you are starting to open a registration." So I, I do have a wait list, uh, and you know, I think uh, probably not all, but like most of the people that hopefully signed up for that wait list actually looked at the additional information on the site. And you know would have seen that the price will go up. Um, so I, so yeah, I guess like the, in in some way that's validation. 
So in some ways, Naveed, for you to be a proper greedy capitalist, um, you know, you really want to be able to charge as much as possible because, because uh, you know, your options, unless you really expand your operation, you know, um, are bottlenecked by your presence, your physical presence, your time. So you're running one cohort at a time. It could be maybe 10, maybe 20 people, probably less likely to work at the scale of like 30 or, or more. Um, you know, so the lever that you have or the parameter that you can kind of adjust to make more from this enterprise presumably is, is the, the cost, the, the, the price these people are paying. And, you know, it, what, it kind of made me wonder uh, to sort of drum up that interest because you really want the demand to exceed the supply of, of you um, if, if you are sort of the heart of the product. Um, you know, have you considered lectures, videos, um, or other sort of promotional materials, maybe digital products, to 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 also sort of um, increase the demand and allow yourself to be more um, exclusive, selective, and charge higher prices. Uh, that's an interesting question. So I want to uh, uh, quickly kind of uh, debunk the first point in that. The, the limits of this is basically my bandwidth and my capacity. Uh, the way that I've actually designed this is is in a way that's actually uh, pretty scalable um, uh, because I, I'm not uh, conducting lectures on a weekly basis. Um, the students basically get a, uh, a presentation and then they get teamed up, right? Like that's basically the physical effort that's required is in sending the materials, teaming them up, and then you know, really, I'm there as a resource, as you know, what I call the class lead, uh, to to help answer any questions they have. But you know, I would say out of the hundred percent of the work that students are doing, they might ping me for like five percent of the advice, right? So it's very little. And the way I could see this happening is, you know, I would probably do you know multiple courses at the same time. Uh, I would be able to train other class leads uh, to uh, you know uh, to run uh, these cohorts. So it's, it, it's definitely not as scalable as like a product company, right? That's, you know, just creating a mobile app and, or, or whatever kind of app and, and the world uses it. Definitely not as scalable as that. Uh, but it's also not as unscalable as a traditional service or an education company uh, or an education firm uh, because it doesn't require uh, anything in person and it doesn't require a tremendous amount of, you know, the, the class leads uh, time. Because the whole point of this is to be an experiential program. Nobody's holding your hand. Nobody's lecturing you, right? Uh, there are check-ins and et cetera, but those are fairly automated. Um, so, so, so I kind of want to give uh, the right uh, context here uh, for, for, for that piece. Uh, and, and also, you know, based on um, my past experience, it actually is possible to run a cohort of like, 25 30 people probably not probably not more than that though as, as you said like like 40 would probably be way too much but i can i can actually run like a pretty large cohort and and actually increase the program experience because it will give more opportunities for better teaming amongst the students that sign up uh it will give them a bigger variety of experiences a bigger cohort is is better in terms of networking for the students so you know there's probably an optimal cohort size if I had to guess, I would probably say it's around 20 to 30, maybe 25. Uh, but, 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 but 10 is definitely not the upper bound by any means. 
in, in terms of, you know, how I'm thinking about marketing. So, so I think to counter the risk of the higher price and kind of the uncertainty and, and also to be able to, you know, uh, to be able to charge higher. And, and, and I think the value, once students know what they'll experience, um, the, the price is very reasonable for what they're getting, right? Um, you know, if you look at the students are spending about 10 hours a week, five to 10 hours a week each uh, for those four weeks. So if you just look at how they value their time, you know, the, the price that I'm charging right now is like is measly, right? So even like $400 is actually pretty measly. Uh, I just want to make sure that I'm, that I'm I just want to make sure that the course is like really, really solid and that I have, that I have proof basically of, of success. So a couple of things that I'll try to do after the first cohort is, you know, collect testimonials, um, uh, kind of start to track student success by by kind of a a, a met, metric of like you know likelihood. Hey, after taking the star, do you feel like you're more likely to start your own company? Uh, I'm gonna track and market those types of things. Um, so I'm I'm definitely thinking about that. Also, like tightening the marketing messaging on my website, uh, potentially adding like an explainer video. You know, because nobody reads. Like I don't read either, right? Nobody reads these long websites, uh, so I want to make it really quick and easy for people to understand what this is uh, that they're uh, that they're going to be purchasing. You know, unlike a product, I can't really do a demo. Um, uh, so, and there's not really like a free account level. So, the, the the explainer video is kind of probably the the best tool that I have uh, to to give them a give them a peek into the program. So those are some of the ways that I'm thinking about marketing. Um, I think uh, you know Jason will probably attest to this from my days at the Met Rally. I'm, I really enjoy building partnerships, and and so that's also uh, one of the ways that I'm looking to you know both drive credibility for my brand to be able to you know charge a higher price and also for distribution and and and, and also to be able to provide you know my students with avenues uh, to. Uh, succeed uh, and continue to succeed after they've taken the program. I don't know if that answers your question, but um, sorry for the tangent, uh, but that's kind of uh, how I'm thinking about about pricing and marketing. That makes sense. That's great. Cool. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're nearing about in the one-hour mark. Um, and so I think that uh, you know, Navid, you've been an incredible guest. Um, you've been you've been wonderful, engaging. Uh, this has been really interesting. Uh, but I do think that we should start to wrap things up. So I think that kind of in this final portion of uh, kind of the pre-mortem game, what we should do actually is uh, come up or kind of come up with a couple of different ideas for tests that you can specifically run in order to kind of uh, test some of these uh, these risks and see if you can overcome them. And so what we can do is we can come up with a distribution test. We can come up with maybe a, a money or pricing test. And we can come up with a, kind of an engagement test. Are there ways that we can kind of poke at some of these risks and kind of start to uh, de-risk them now by kind of proving them to be kind of um, incorrect kind of dangers? Um, what, what do you think about that, Nathan? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that Naveed has done a great job of kind of addressing his own concerns about the future of the product uh, project, and you know, I, I think those have been well addressed. So it's sort of like, uh, I think what you're getting out there is um, there is lingering uncertainty, though. So you can kind of address them conceptually, but then 
you know, is it, might, might it be worth taking extra steps to collect data, to test some of these hypotheses, whether it's about pricing or it's about channels for recruiting um, new customers. Um, so I guess straight off the bat then, Naveed, do you have plans, uh, any kind of specific plans to kind of um, answer some of these questions or kind of get, get some data that would uh, speak to any of these things? Sure, okay, so the three that you listed, that you both listed were distribution, engagement, and pricing. Um, can you clarify what you mean by engagement? Is that basically kind of like student like completion rate of the program or, or how exactly. they benefited from it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just just how, how, how well students are able to kind of understand and enjoy and get value from the material. So just like the yeah. experience of the course itself. Yep, yep. Yeah, engagement is a really tricky one uh, to test. Um, again, because, you know, even if, I, even if I'm kind of, uh, even if I'm looking at the engagement across the different cohorts, it uh, doesn't mean much because it's a very small sample size of, you know, all the aspiring entrepreneurs that exist anywhere in the world. Um, it's also really tricky because, um, so uh, there is a, uh, you know, a, a three-month kind of program called Founders Institute, uh, and it's for those that have an idea they want to work on. Uh, it's an evening program. It's, it's really awesome. Um, and, you know, the I was listening to a podcast by the CEO of that, uh, of Founders Institute, and he said that they have an over over 50% dropout rate uh, for their three-month course. And so, you know, if, if you're looking at it as a, as a newbie, right, like as someone that's not thought about this problem before, you would say, oh my God, that's like really, really terrible. That's a terrible attrition rate, you know? Uh, but actually, if you consider what kind of program this is, it's actually made to uh, kind of clear out those that uh, aren't going to cut the mustard, you know? I don't know if that's the right saying. Uh, but so, so actually, like if I have, let's say, a similar dropout rate, which I'm not seeing right now, I'm seeing uh, about uh, 20%. Um, then is that is that a bad thing? Does that mean that the engagement is like I need to improve the engagement, or, or does that mean that I'm actually doing something right? So actually, those are a bunch of questions. I would love to hear, you know, any ideas that you guys have on how I can kind of measure uh, in, engagement. Uh, obviously, you know, I am going to be conducting. I have conducted weekly surveys with students to see how they feel about uh, certain, uh, you know, uh, like how they how they're feeling on a weekly basis. Uh, I have. Uh, also, um, uh, I'm also going to be doing a post-class survey uh, to, to check the NPS score, to just to get your satisfaction with the different components of the program. You know, I have gotten some specific feedback that I'm going to be incorporating to improve that. But, but I don't, beyond that, I don't know actually how to test engagement from cohort to cohort. In terms of distribution, um, uh, so yeah, I'd love to hear your ideas there. In terms of distribution, I actually did start to test it. Um, so I actually tested a part, two partnerships. Uh, in the very first cohort, and they worked. Uh, I actually got signups for those for those partnerships. So now my now my goal is to kind of re-engage in those partnerships for the next cohort, and then to also build additional partnerships. Uh, and the pricing, I also don't know how to test beyond just you know obviously asking the current students, uh, and also uh, just putting up the price and seeing if people are willing to to pay you know for the for the second cohort uh, at the higher price. Um, so I would also love to hear ideas, uh, any ideas on pricing as well. That's definitely an area, along with engagement, that you know I don't know really how to test properly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can throw one one 
uh, thing out there. Um, I, I think you're right. I see that uh, maybe Jason has an idea about how to how to kind of price test, try to get some some good information that goes beyond the self report, which can kind of be misleading potentially. Um, but one that I, I had with um, you know your graduated students, um, you know, have you considered sort of so one test, of course, to to how effective the program is is how much they're referring other people to the program. Um, but you know, even if they had a great experience, um, the program itself might might not be at the top of their mind. Um, you know, as they kind of go out in the world and they talk to people, they may not be thinking about um, sharing their experience as a referral, like, hey, go do, hey, you should go do this too. Have you considered formally trying to incentivize them um, or, or just in general, maybe I guess how you're going to follow up with them to kind of um, make them your sort of army of, uh, of, of salespeople? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so, I, so I've been, you know, uh, I've been thinking about this term, you know, viral coefficient. Uh, that's usually applicable in the product world, but I think it could definitely be applicable in like this kind of product service hybrid business that I'm trying to build. Um, so one of the thoughts that I have is potentially giving a coupon code to stu current students once they graduate. And so if they want to make a referral, uh, they can, you know, and the coupon could actually just literally be, uh, could be something that's, you know, like the, 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 the student's name. It's very unique to them, right? Um, and, and, and if those students want to sign up, if their friends want to sign up, then they'll get a discount on the program. Um, and so there is uh, a, a reason and kind of a trigger. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the three things that, you know, Jason listed uh, a reward uh, for them to actually uh, refer their friends. So that, that's one idea that I've, that I've thought about. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the two easiest things to test, and they you test them almost as a singular thing, um, okay. is distribution and pricing. Um, and the reason I say that they're pretty much the same thing is because, um, so, it, it, like, for example, if you create a Facebook ad for the start, and you say, you know, like, uh, learn how to become an entrepreneur in four weeks or less, uh, and you put the pricing in there, like for only four hundred uh, in four weeks for only four hundred dollars, right? What you're doing is you're testing the demand and the the um, the um, uh, how attractive the deal looks at at that specific price. And so you can kind of test by using Facebook advertisements, by using kind of Google ads, um, by maybe kind of buying podcast ads, uh, such as an ad on uh, the Premortem Show uh, for <laughs> you know different. Uh, different price levels. So I always see distribution as being completely locked up with a uh, price point, right? Because uh, the, 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 the demand for free ice cream is, you know, billions of people. The demand for $20 ice cream is going to be much lower, right? And so what we have to do here, I think, is kind of test distribution at different price points. So I think that those two are locked up uh, hand in hand. And the way that I would test that is I would actually create different landing pages. Uh, on mm. some of the, on one of the landing pages, I would have a certain pricing model. On another landing page, I'd have a different price point or a different pricing model. And I would just kind of send different traffic through Facebook ads to uh, the different pages and just see how they sure. perform. So I think that that's kind of one clever way to kind of test that out, of course, is Facebook advertisements. Um, you can do really interesting targeting. Uh, you can target different groups, see, like, you know, kind of, 
what demographics kind of convert best. And so I think you can get really scientific and really cool there and kind of understand kind of uh, what the demand for your program is at, at, at kind of different price points. So I think that though that's just an obvious test, right? Go out, buy some ads, try different messaging, try different price points, see what happens, see what the conversions like, and see if you can kind of um, uh, if you can kind of uh, fill cohorts, uh, you know, at the eight hundred dollar price point even. Um, so I think that that's an easy next step. I think testing engagement is much harder, um, uh, but I think that the way that I would look at it is I would actually go out and try and find the attrition rates for programs like the, the founders program, the three month one that you mentioned. Um, are there mm-hmm. other ones that are kind of shorter, kind of like in your kind of time frame, Or can you find out what the, what the attrition rate is after one month in that program and use that as kind of the, the base rate that you kind of compare your drop off to. So if after one month uh, they get a 50% drop off and you're only getting 20%, I think that, um, you can say, wow, we're doing really well. And of course, you always want to get as close to zero drop-off as possible. But if you're only getting 20% and kind of all other similar programs are getting 40 50%, I think you can pat yourself on the back there. And you can say, this isn't my weak point. My weak point actually right now that I really need to focus on. Of course, I always want to focus on the product and how good the materials are. But you know, I'm beating kind of the industry standards in that area. And really what I need to work on is getting more cash flow and getting greater distribution. So I think that that's how I would kind of think about those three things. Interesting, interesting. Um, what about the, so, so one of the, one of the uh, I did some customer interviews um, uh, just uh, this last week. I had a one-on-one call with every single student just to get their feedback, to share with them some of the things I'm thinking about in terms of improvement, et cetera. And one of the students made a really interesting suggestion. She said, you know, what if you were to make, so she said the, the, there's a lot of material and, you know, all the students are uh, working professionals, right? Um, and, you know, since it's a four-week program, if you, if you fall behind a week, like you're basically, it's really hard to catch up. So she said, you know, what if you were to make uh, a six-week program instead of a four-week program? So it, it would both feel like more substantial uh, to warrant, you know, a higher price tag for the value that the students are getting, uh, but also to give a little bit of buffer room and to kind of space things out uh, to allow students some some breathing room. Uh, how would I test something like that? Would it just be, you know, me, you know, doing the next cohort of the six-week cohort instead of a four-week cohort? Or is there some sort of a survey I can do? Any thoughts from both of you there? Well, my, my very first gut instinct, in case, unless Jason has a very clever thing, is, that actually strikes me as exactly the kind of pe- thing that people are going to have uh, unreliable intuitions on, because you know people may say, "Yeah, great, you know that that sounds good." I mean, six weeks instead of four, space it out, a little more flexibility. Yep. Um, but uh, I, it, it strikes me as the kind of thing that you'd probably really have to just do um, to find out whether it's the right decision. Yeah, I would agree with Nathan in general. Uh, one thing that I will say is that, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, something that's kind of come to people's attention in recent years is, uh, I guess I'd call it the, the um, potato chip phenomenon, which is uh, if, you, delicious. if you go and you, you go to your grocery <laughs> store and you look at the potato chip bags, uh, they look huge. But then you open it up and there are just a few chips at the bottom. And potato, you know, food companies have realized that people, uh, when they look at this package that has all the stuff in it, they're like, when they see a big package, they assume that it's filled up all the way 
And so they're like, oh, I'm getting a great value. I'm buying this big bag of potato chips, uh, even if it only contains as, as you know, uh, it, it may be a 16 ounce bag, it can, a bag that can hold 16 ounces, but there are only 10 ounces of potato chips in there. Um, they're selling what they've always, the same quantity they've always sold, putting it in a bigger bag, mm -hmm. or they're selling less than they've traditionally sold, but keeping the bag size the same. And so I, I think that you almost kind of get a similar effect here if you made it a six week program, yeah. which is people feel like they're getting six weeks of content. Um, you're, you're, you're keeping the content the same. They're getting what used to be four weeks of content you're expanding kind of the bag that it sits within. And so people may feel like they're getting getting more um, by kind of expanding the, the time frame. So I, I think that there is an effect there, but I'm also kind of worried about, you know, I, I think it's Parkinson's law, which is that every task kind of fills the time kind of given, given for it. Mm, um, yep. Are people really, if they're given this extra time, um, are they really going to spend more time with the material and really kind of digest yeah. it more? Or are they just going to procrastinate on it? Um, I think that there's something kind of wonderful about a, a really kind of intense, tight program where yeah. you actually always have the pressure on you to, to, to think about it or do something related to it. Just It's just so easy to fall out of stride when you're just given too much time for an activity. So those are just kind of two thoughts that just come to my head randomly. Cool. Uh, thanks. You got it. So, um, cool. So I think that what we'll do now, um, are, are there any kind of further thoughts about uh, kind of testing, Nathan, that you have? Uh, no, n n nothing really comes to mind. I think I just, I, the only note I have is I, to, to kind of formalize the point that you're making about price. You know, in economics, we have a term, of, a formal term for that, of course, which is the price elasticity of demand. And I would definitely think a lot about that, Naveed, in your case, because there's so much, there, there seems to be potentially a lot of inbuilt ambiguity about how much your service, um, you know, uh, how valuable your service is, is going to be to these people and how, you know, what price is justified. Now, they may have other reference points uh, as far as other programs that are maybe somewhat similar, somewhat in the same space. But, you know, again, there's just a lot of ambiguity. And so, you know, somebody could look at a program like that and say, you know, oh, I don't know, maybe that's a, worth $100. But then on the other hand, hey, maybe it's worth 1000 And until you start poking around and testing, um, you're not going to know what the, uh, the, the price elasticity of demand really is, which means potentially maybe you could take the $400 price point, double it, and rather than the demand falling to half, which would maybe sort of leave you where you started, maybe the demand only drops by 20%. And in that case, it could be a very rational thing to do. Furthermore, you know, you see this effect with a lot of luxury goods, but the pricier they are, the more valuable people believe that they are. Um, and it's almost, a, it's almost a rationalization or a justification for the purchase in the first place. It's well, hey, this must be great because I spent a lot of money on it. And so I think that, you know, if you test that and see that there isn't a scary steep drop off in demand as you raise the price, even double the price or increase it by another 50% or whatever, um, you know, I, 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 would, I would test that because you, you, don't wanna, you don't want months to go by cohort after cohort without, you know, uh, leaving a lot of uh, cash on the table for you. Uh, you when you could have been charging higher prices all along. Yeah, that make that makes sense. And and you know, like uh, I hope that 
talking about pricing so much doesn't make me look like a greedy capitalist. Obviously, it's a business, <laughs> but I think there's a, a lot of other factors, right? Like the like you know, at a higher price point, as he mentioned, the students will feel like they're getting more value, but they'll also give more time to the program. You know, uh, this program is so self-directed that actually a low price point would totally kill it because if it's if it's not a if if there's not enough of a uh, commitment, financial commitment from the students. Uh, to really follow through and, and do the work and work with the team members and go through the struggles, you know, if they've only paid fifty bucks or hundred bucks, like for most for most people, like that is not a huge number. And then the seriousness of the student goes down. If the price is higher, you know, they'll also put in more time. So that's also part of the balance I'm trying to find is actually having a price where they will put in more time. And of course, a, a price that also gives me additional resources. Since this is a bootstrap business, you continue to improve things, right? Like I want to create professional videos. There's just all these different things I want to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't do that with the current kind of economics of the business. Uh, but I will be able to do that if I'm able to, you know, both improve the program, get more students, and also then be able to and make sure they get that value and then being able to get the value back for, for my business. Um, uh, so, yeah, I definitely appreciate the, the perspective on, 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 you know, on price and engagement and distribution has been very, very helpful. Well, it's our pleasure, Naveed. So, Naveed, actually, uh, we, can you tell the audience where they can learn more about the start, um, how they can learn more about you and potentially reach out if they would love to have a conversation with you as well? Uh, sure. That, yeah. Uh, so, the start's website is at thestart.io. Um, so, check it out. Uh, I'll be... Uh, probably at the end of this month, uh, I'll put up the next cohort. Uh, if you have any questions in the meantime, uh, you can email me at hello at the star.io. Uh, you can also get me on Twitter at Naveed underscore L um, and uh, on LinkedIn as well. We'll have to check in with you in six months. Sure. Sounds uh, good. To, you know, to follow up and, and, and see whether this pre-mortem maybe really had an impact. Absolutely. I, th I, think, I think it will. Thanks so much. Cool. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye.